There's Ronaldo! Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. Messi. Messi! Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Well, it's a big week in the footballing world, if I say so myself, at least in our little corner of the world. Um, Not to mention, Major League Soccer is back this weekend, or it's actually back last night, technically, with Inter-Miami getting action underway in league play this year. We've got uh, a little bit more locally, we've got Fordham University men's club soccer in action tomorrow night at Murphy Field on the campus of Rose Hill of Fordham University in the Boogie Down Bronx, so definitely pumped about that. Uh, we've got the CONCACAF Women's Gold Cup in full swing at the moment. We've got the Champions League returning this week and last week. We've got oh so much to talk about, and we're doing it in studio. We're doing it live. I'm James Burley with FUVFC. I'm joined by Diego Martinez and Chris Shepard, two two of our newest and most cherished colleagues here at the station. Diego, I'm going to throw it to you first. You're filling in this week. Thank you so much for climbing aboard. How are you, brother? No, I'm so good. As you mentioned, MLS is back. I know that we're going to leave just a little bit uh, to talk about it because there is so much jam-packed, but I'm just so excited to hop on the show. Always love being joined by y'all. First time with you, Chris. I am just so excited and just excited for the show to start. Yeah, it's been a long, long while since I've been on air. Uh pretty crazy day uh early morning mocks today for uh, F, uh fuv but uh, i'm just glad to be back talking footy with two of some of the best in the biz and yeah let's hop right into it yeah let's hop right into it indeed i teased a few different things that we're going to be talking about but we're going to start with some european club football not the champions league we're going to talk a little bit of each of the top five leagues right now that let's start in the prem Top of the table, it says Liverpool, but if you look really closely, it also says matches played 26 and Man City matches played 25. They're four points clear, so even one game for City wouldn't uh, decide it one way or the other. And Liverpool did play yesterday, and for a minute there, it looked like things weren't going to go their way. And then you look, you blink, and you look back, and they've won 4-1 against Luton Town. A good effort from Luton, nonetheless. But uh, regardless, Liverpool coming away with three points and. If you look at the table now, it looks like it's theirs to win. But I mean, we've been here before with Manchester City. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm very uh, very optimistic about Liverpool's chances of not winning the league this year, even though they're still in first. Diego, do you feel the same way? You know, honestly, yeah. Uh, I mentioned <laughs> in the previous show that um, Man City are literally Thanos, the Thanos of the Premier League. They are inevitable. They just whenever you count them out, that is when exactly they strike. Uh, Liverpool kind of had that they had us in the first half not gonna lie moment um you know a Luton Town team that you know hasn't really made a lot of noise as they're still fighting 
uh, to stay up. But, you know, they have had so many valiant efforts uh, in this campaign. So, I mean, yes, they lost 4-1. But, again, every every game is built different. Uh, and some games might look differently than the way that they're presented by the scoreline. And I think this is definitely one of those. Uh does this put Liverpool in the clear, just like you said, James? I don't think so. I think Man City, um, they need any sliver of hope for them to come back. I mean, they they have so many quality players from like f- from goalkeeper to strikers, and they have multiple of them. So, like for example, if De Bruyne gets hurt again, they it doesn't really matter. Because they're gonna be so good regardless. Mm-hmm. But now that he's like getting his full strength back, like it's over. It's over, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I would love to disagree with both of you about this one. I would love to say Liverpool send off Jurgen Klopp into the sunset, lifting that trophy in downtown Liverpool. But unfortunately, I do believe that Man City is just the better team. They are inevitable. And. Obviously, you know, they did slip up against Chelsea at the weekend, but I just think it's a little blip and I don't think it's going to be a trend. And I just think that overall, when De Bruyne came back, it just added a whole new complexion to this team. I still think that they're kind of heavy favorites for the Champions League. Obviously, there are a couple teams in the Champions League that might knock them off, but overall, I just think that Man City are the dominant force in not only English football, but in world football as well. 100%. Hundred uh, percent. I think it's it's tough to cut the cookie any other way than 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 that. I mean, it's the hard truth for some of us. It's certainly for me. I'm not a fan of Manchester City, but that is just the way things go. Just really quickly looking at some of the results from the weekend. Um, Bournemouth on the road to Newcastle, picking up a two-two draw. That's not the only time Newcastle have uh, dropped points at home to uh, a struggling side. It happened uh, just a couple weeks earlier to Luton Town. Arsenal on the road, 5-0 over Burnley, and then Tottenham at home losing to Wolves. And that top four race looking much more difficult, more and more difficult each week for Spurs, really, even though that they've done some some really beautiful things this year, I would say. Uh, but let's take a quick trip over into Spain at the moment. The table looks the same as it did not too long ago. Real in first, and that gap is getting wider and wider. Girona second, Barcelona third, and I still think that at the end of the year, we're going to be looking at what Hirona did in 2024 and are going to be very, very uh, excited about it, very happy about it, very uh, accomplished, uh, very big achievement for Hirona to even be in the conversation for Champions League, let alone in a title race with with uh, Los Blancos. But this was a weekend where they really could have uh, came up with some ground. 1-1 against Real Vallecano, a red card to Real Madrid, and still Hirona falls on the road to Bilbao. Uh, I'll go to you first, Diego. What are your reactions from this weekend in La Liga? You know, I'm a Madrista, and, you know, I, I, I'm I conditioned for success, and this was not success. I, you know, I don't want to go too hard because, I mean, yes, it's one game against Rayo Vallecano, but, I mean, it's La Liga, man. Whenever you least expect it, the small teams can really, really show, like, their true strength. I mean... Madrid, I feel like, especially the past couple of years with all the, like, signing, like, drama and everything, I feel like the aura of them has been forgotten. They are serial winners, regardless of whether Mbappe comes or not, or whether, mm. you know, there's been a link of Job Bellingham coming. I, You know, I think for Girona, I, I love your point to the fact that, yeah, this is something that they can build on. I mean, we're not even counting out the fact that they make 
that they might make European football, which is a whole problem because uh, obviously they're both uh, both Girona and Man City are both owned by City Football Group, and UEFA says that uh, they they both can't be in the Champions League. But that's a discussion for another day. We'll, we'll figure it out, and I'm sure there will be some amendment to some loophole or whatever that allows. City Football Group to get away with whatever they're going to be doing. But c- continue, please. No, no, definitely. I mean, yeah, City always finds a way, especially uh, with all the things that they've been doing in the Premier League. But, you know, to stick to Spain, I, you know, I feel like the real losers in this g- was honestly Madrid. Um, mm. Even if um, the Girona was the, were the actual losers, the true losers was Madrid because you can't give up these points you cannot do this i know rayo alecano can fight they you have this scrappy mentality that's you know partially due to their history but i mean you're real madrid you gotta win these you gotta win these yeah i definitely do feel like even though i'm not like pumping the brakes on real madrid just yet they have been winning very scrappily this year um just trying to find any means to win games this year um, they've only got one loss in La Liga this year, but overall I just feel like this title fight has mainly come down to Real Madrid just having that extra oomph to their uh, attack, their extra like players that can push them over the edge. Obviously, Jude Bellingham, what an incredible year he's had. Um, you just have like that mentality, mm-hmm. and I think that Girona, as good as they have been, just don't have the players, the depth that they need to really challenge Real Madrid. And before, where it was almost as if Girona could uh, push forward and potentially take Real Madrid all the way, I just feel that Girona has kind of fallen off. Um, obviously, you look at the team, they just had an incredible season overall from like these unsung heroes like Dov, Bic, Savio. Um, but overall, I just think that Real Madrid have just fought tooth and nail mm-hmm. to be where they are. Yeah, and we're going to jump to the Bundesliga in a second, but what Leverkusen have done that Hirona hasn't done is play an impeccable defensive record. And Hirona now in their last two weeks have lost a couple games and have conceded seven goals over that course. That's seven goals in 180 minutes is not par for the course of a title-winning team. Uh, and now they're only just they're closer to third than they are to first. So I would say that if you ask me, Barca probably have a better chance at overtaking Real than Hirona at this point, which is, you know, it hurts me to say. But um, Hirona figured it out for a while. I think that they're still going to be in European football. They're going to play in the Champions League next year. They will not be lifting a trophy, unfortunately. Uh, but as it turns out, the defensive giants in, in La Liga right now are Real Madrid. They've only conceded 16 goals through 25 matches, and that is far and away the best uh, defensive record in La Liga, and we're here talking about their attack. Well, uh, I think a lot of that is because, that yes, those games have looked scrappy, but it, they never look like they're going to be beaten, you know? They, 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 look, they don't always look like they have a perfect grasp on the match, but they never look like they're going to be beaten, which I think is a much, much different trait to have, and that's one that I would very much equate with Leverkusen. Looking at the bottom of the table in, in Spain, Sevilla we were talking about about a month ago, a few weeks ago, that they were going to have to crawl out of the basement a bit, and I think that now it's time to take a bit of a breath if you're Sevilla. Seven points clear of the relegation zone. Uh, what looked like it was going to be impossible uh, – Looks like it's going to continue to be impossible. Sevilla going down. I don't think it's going to happen. So we're going to keep our eye on things going on in Spain. Right now, we're going to switch over to Germany. And it's another problem weekend from Bayern Munich. Things are getting worse and worse. Chris, this is your team. 
this is this is you know you wait for the weekend to be able to watch this team play. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> another another game in which a team goes to ten men. Although this time, uh, both of them were later in the matches when the damage had already been done. Upamecano gets sent off. You're already down two one, I believe, at that time. Three one to the penalty. Just talk me through what's going through your mind as you watch the Botcham match and relative to what happened a week earlier against Leverkusen. To be honest with you, James, I did not want to watch the Bochum match. <laughs> That's how bad I believe that Bayern Munich are performing. You say that this is a team I want to watch every week, but that's not been the case. <laughs> it's not been the case. And I'm just sitting here thinking, get this man out of here. Mm. We need him out of here. Because ever since Thomas Tuchel came to this club, we have just been in constant decline. There has not been any improvement there's not been any vision. There's not been any integrity to the way this team has been run. And the shocking thing to me is that even though the board has come to their senses and said, okay, we're going to fire Tuchel, they are waiting till the end of the season, apparently, to make that decision and get him out of there. Why not fire him now? Mm. Oh, I, I think I, I can get you on that one because... Um, that's something that, like, yeah, it's a valid criticism, especially seeing what Tuchel has done. Uh, I mean, taking a historic team and, you know, kind of, kind of leaving them in in the dust. I I get it, but this you also just have to understand the fact that, like, I'm a Chelsea fan personally, and so speaking from perspective of like managers getting sacked midway through season is a regular for me. That doesn't fix anything. That doesn't fix any problems that that Bayern Munich has right now. Bayern Munich has great players like that's not the discussion here the discussion is they're not playing like a team at all they're not cohesive mm -hmm. and firing a manager halfway through the season it just will not solve that it will maybe even make things worse so I think what Byron should do is just wait until the end of the season give yourself time to really assess where you want to take this team and then make a decision Sure, it might not like give you a considerable boost, but it'll give you the time and patience you need to not make a stupid decision. Because as a Chelsea fan, again, um, I, I've seen stupid decisions like it's a regular Tuesday afternoon. No, those are <laughs> saved for Friday nights. Um, like, I, I, as a guy who, like, I rate Bayern because, I mean, there's a reason why they are so dominant. They, they are doing this because they, they know that they need the patience to really decide what to do next. But here's my issue with that point. It's an excellent point. Every team should wish to wait for a manager to fall into their laps and lead them to glory. However, there has been a toxicity that has been permeating throughout this club ever since Thomas Tuchel stepped foot into that training ground. There has been a clear disconnect between different factions of the Bayern dressing room where players are saying, yes, we'll stick with your philosophy, stick with your plan, and then players who are just given up on him. Like very important players at that, Joshua Kimmich, who has been seen as one of the utmost leaders of this football club, has particularly been someone who has denounced Tuchel to almost the end. Um, and they have just clashed heads, obviously Tuchel wanting a, holding, a real holding midfielder for this club, and Kimmich offering himself, and Tuchel yet again denying him. And so I just feel that as the more Tuchel stays at this club, the more toxicity he brings to the locker room, the more um, anger the players have towards him. 
But here's another interesting point that I want to make here. If you're the players at Bayern Munich, do not play for him. Uh, just go on the field and do not play for him. Um, if you wish to get him out of this club sooner and make it clear to the board that you want someone who can bring fresh new ideas to this football club, do not play for him. And that has actually been what they did at the beginning of the season, which is why they were off to a very hot start. The players' individual quality shine through. Harry Kane and Leroy Sané were at the top of their game, and uh, regardless of whatever formation or whatever tactical plan Tuchel may have had, they were uh, delivering yet again for Bayern. But um, overall, um, while I agree with your point, Diego, that obviously you want to wait and there will be a lot of good managers by the time the summer comes around, such as Xabi Alonso, um, maybe even Hansi Flick, even though he's been said to have wanted to go to Barcelona. But overall, I just feel like if, if you're Bayern, now is the time to fire Tuchel because you don't want any more of that toxicity. Obviously, they already do have an interim option in hand in Ali Gunnar Solskjaer, who was last seen at Man United. Um, I think that while not the best option, would be able to carry till the end of the season. And then you want, if, if you want my honest opinion about who I think the Bayern manager should be for next season, I'm going with a kind of outside pick in Zinedine Zidane. Mm. I think that... When you look at a manager like Zidane, he has the player, the player experience, knows a thing or two about beating Bayer Leverkusen in finals, and just has that Champions League pedigree, obviously one of the only managers to win three Champions Leagues in a row, that can really bring that championship pedigree back to Bayern, that ferocious efficiency that Bayern Munich is known for. And ultimately, he has been open since the talks of Tuchel being fired, to coming to the club, whereas Xabi Alonso also has the Liverpool links. Um, Hansi Flick hiring Penny Zahavi to kind of navigate that and overall um, wanting to go to Barcelona in the first place. So I, I think that if, out of all the options available for Bayern Munich, Zinedine Zidane is the one that I think going forward will lead Bayern back to success and ultimately keep some players who are ang have been angered by the Tuchel era at the club as well. Just just going back through the last seven or so years with Bayern Munich, Carlo Ancelotti was sacked midseason. Julian Nagelsmann was sacked midseason. And in both those cases, they went on to win the league that year. So, that being said, I think in many cases it can be a dangerous game to make a managerial change in the middle of the season. But if you're Bayern Munich, it's often like you're playing with house money. This is the first time, though, that they've been eight points back and it's been this far into the season. Whereas, you know, in 2023, when Nagelsmann was let go, they were much closer to Dortmund than they are to Leverkusen now. So I think that maybe if they were going to make a change managerially, it would have happened sooner. I think this might just be too cool to the end uh, of this season. And then at the at the summer of 2024, they're going to make some changes for one of those bigger names. But I think an interim manager coming in would probably be the right move going forward. Um, but with that said, it's tough to see that. I mean, look, we have to talk about Harry Kane every week just because it is so ironic that the one time he joins a juggernaut, He's not going to win the league, and it's looking more and more clear every week now. It's the history of the Tottenham. It's the history of the Tottenham. <laughs> football well, edited, yes. That is football edited. Okay. In, in, 
on that note, let's go to Italy then, because that is that is where Mourinho most recently was, and unfortunately for him, he's no longer there, and Roma are kind of killing it. They just won 3-0 on the road this weekend to Frosinone, and uh, actually, as it, as it turns out, Lazio's on the road to Torino, winning 2-0 as we are uh, talking live. The more and more we look at this table, it's Inter Milan's year. I think we knew that last year. It is we've we've officially I think eclipsed the era of Juventus and Serie A, and that was something I never thought I'd say. You know, you could argue, you could make a case that we're about to see this with Bayern in the Bundesliga, but I wouldn't believe you yet because I if you if you're telling me that Bayern aren't going to be the best team in the Bundesliga in 2024, 25, 25, 26, 26, 27, I wouldn't believe you. If you told me Juventus weren't going to be the best team in Italy for the next three seasons, I would absolutely believe you. They drew again this weekend to Verona. They are getting further and further out of the title race, um, even though they're still in second. You know, it's not like it's not like they're about to get relegated. It's not like they're not going to be in Champions League football next year. But Inter Milan are the class of this league, and they've proved it time and time again. They've got the best Champions League tie, in my opinion, with Atletico Madrid. It's currently the most exciting one. Um, and yeah, I, I I think this is absolutely this is a good thing for Italy. I'm going to say it. This is a good thing that Juventus is not running the league anymore. Even if it's just a one-for-one swap and Inter becomes the new Juve, winning every year, buying up the best players from the other teams in Serie A, it's a change of the guard. It's a massive, massive club with a wild, wild history that I think, you know, probably five to ten years of football fans forgot about. And I think I'm, I think it's a good thing that it's coming back into everybody's minds what this team could be. Nobody picked them to win the Champions League final last year, but they were still in the Champions League final, and I think that goes a long way. Diego? Yeah, you know, I year after year as I keep watching um, just football, I've found myself finding a lot more enjoyment in Serie A, especially in recent years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I I know the whole thing of, like, preying on somebody's downfall. I I was low-key preying on Juventus to kind of have a little fall-off because, I mean, this is what – this is. This is football. This is entertainment. Mm-hmm. I want to see teams duke it out. I, I want to see teams like Inter Milan, who I mean, yeah. I mean, I look last Champions League campaign. I didn't even think they were gonna make the final, let alone the semifinals. Mm-hmm. But for them to make it all that way and yeah, lose to a better squad. But I mean, I didn't think they lost like horribly. They they made it a fight in there, and you know I feel like the. The like fighting mentality, the like the physical mentality of Italian football is coming back, and mm-hmm. you can see teams like, I mean, Napoli won the league. What was it like last two, year? Last year, yeah. another ninth. Yeah, they're and they're struggling, mm-hmm. and they're struggling. I mean, it's that's what I like to see as a football fan. That's the competitiveness. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a Napoli fan, so I'm, I'm pretty like, like unbiased when I say that. But I mean. Seeing that, like, anybody can really be anyone is just such a great sight to see in such a defensive-minded league. Like, historically, Serie A has been a very defensive-minded league, mm-hmm. but yet we've seen, like, a lot of goals come in. I mean, it's it's just great to see this league kind of start to thrive again. And, you know, especially because they've had so many dark years, I'm just I'm just really happy to see it. Yeah, I feel like... We're back in the 90s where the Serie A is like one of the top leagues in uh, Europe right now. And if you want my honest opinion, I do feel that if not 
Real Madrid or Man City this year in the Champions League. Inter's right there. I mean, mm-hmm. they have the players, they have the system, they have the coach to go all the way, and obviously they also only have one loss in their league, and they look like one of the best teams on the continent, if not the best team on the continent. And it just makes me feel like, you know, that Syria is going to be a force to be reckoned with. And it's not just Juventus anymore, even though some of my favorite players in Italy are on Juventus. It's AC Milan, if they can, you know, get going, find some rhythm. It's Roma, once they hire someone after Mourinho, obviously. And Napoli, I feel like, will definitely be back next year. But overall, Serie A has just been a very intriguing league, whether you watch it every week or not. And I just feel that, you know, Inter, um, Napoli winning this year, AC Milan winning a couple of years ago really makes this league more exciting and makes people take notice and be like, hey, maybe Italian soccer is a watchable uh, league again. And I'm just excited to see where Serie A is going to be in the next five to ten years. I think that's a good point, you know, to to posit, like, the future of Serie A, it, it, it could feel like the 90s, early 2000s again when those clubs really ran the world. Like, you, you thought of AC Milan in the same breath as Real Madrid and Barcelona. Uh, you, you still don't even do that, I wouldn't think. I, I think that's maybe maybe it's going to take a bigger splash from a team like Inter in the Champions League. They, they're currently 1-0 up on aggregate against Atletico Madrid. We're going to talk about that in a bit. Finishing off in the top five leagues in France, as we often do, um, and... Uh, shocker, one team is running away with it. They're 13 points clear, uh, about halfway through the league, and or a little bit more than halfway through the league. But we've got some, as we know, some uh, unusual suspects filling in the uh, European spots. Stade Brestois are still in second. Nice are still in third, just a point off. But m- more importantly is this race for the top four. Between second and seventh, from Brestois all the way down to Rene, it's six points separating the two. Brestois are closer to um, ninth than they are to first, and they're in second. So that just shows you what this league is like. PSG running away with it. Mbappe is also going to be running away at the end of the season, it seems, uh, presumably into Spain for Real Madrid, but technically we don't know what the answer is there. I thought we all know what the answer is there. Um, as, as, as I would have it, you know, it's, it's PSG's league, and every other team is just kind of there. But I, I, I want to give some credit where I can to teams like Stade René and Rem, who are still like currently very firmly in this conversation for European football. Brestois, down a man to Marseille, 1-0 on the weekend. So there's some exciting things going on in, in France, although it must be said, PSG are not only running away with it, but if you just look at their results in, in the Coupe de France, they, they, they beat Revel, lower division team, 9-0. They beat Orléans, 4-1. And then they beat Brest in the Cup 3-1. So they, they've been cruising against all sorts of competition. They beat Real Sociedad pretty convincingly in the Champions League as well. So they're a team with a lot of confidence. Expect them to lift the trophy at the end of the French calendar season. So let's look at the Champions League. It's a big competition now. Let's talk about it. Some big matches from this week and last. Uh, let's talk about the ones this week. Uh, I'll start with PSV Dortmund just because... Uh, that game should have been Dortmund's game to win. They were the better team through most of the 90 minutes. I don't know if you saw the penalty that was called against Mats Hummels. Very, very, very questionable, yeah. especially considering it was given on the field. There was 
only contact with the ball. It was studs up, but now that this this brings in a larger conversation about interpretations of the rules, and we could get into all that, but your overall impressions of the game, Chris, I'm going to go to you first on this one, and if you want to talk about the foul, feel free, because I... There are some things that I'd like to get off my chest about some refereeing in this sport. <laughs> actually, I did not see the game at all. I had to watch the highlights, and I didn't get to the penalty, actually. Mm-hmm. But I did see the flow of the game. Uh, I feel like Dortmund did have the better chances, mm-hmm. and they are have been a team that um, you know have not performed well in the league this year but have done pretty well uh, in the Champions League. And I just feel like, yes, they'll advance, but PSV Eindhoven, let's talk about them for mm-hmm. a second. They are much like Leverkusen, undefeated, undefeated in the Eredivisie. And they have been making noise, obviously, if you look at their roster, Luke de Jong there, Chucky Lozano there. Uh, I think hey. this is a very interesting team. <laughs> a couple of Americans, could, too. You can yeah, those guys Yeah, up. yeah, obviously. Sergio Dest, <laughs> Ricardo Pepe, yes. Yes, Malik Tillman, a former, uh, former Bayern. Bayern. There yes, you go. If I believe correctly. But, um, yeah, I just feel like this is a very interesting tie in terms of, you know, Dortmund, who may have been underperforming in the league, right. obviously, but coming into the Champions League have just been performing much better. And, and they're very level in that way. Yes, they are yeah. very level. And PSV obviously dominating the Eredivisie, but kind of keeping it close with Dortmund. So, yeah, overall, I can't say much about the penalty as I have not seen it yet. But overall, I just feel like this was the most interesting tie of the past week in the Champions League. Yeah, Diego? Yeah, I, I, I did see that foul. Uh, that's the <laughs> softest thing I've ever seen. I mean, in the Premier League, that would just be like, get up, get up, keep playing. I Look, I I think it's all well and good to see like refs make decisions that they feel is what is right. I feel like that's the fundamental part of refereeing. Two things you got to consider. You got to keep it consistent throughout the entire game. That just was not present at all. But the second and most important thing is you have to put into the context which competition you're in. This isn't like a, a random ga- Premier League Sunday morning game at Kenilworth Road. It's the Champions League against two of like, Europe's t- like arguably top teams and hardest teams right now. And, you know, I especially putting all of that into context, I just think it's absolutely absurd that uh, such a foul like would ever be called. And, you know, I... I just really feel bad because, yes, Dortmund should have won by more. I, I, I'm not giving, I'm not putting away any blame for for Dortmund. I'm gonna give it to them because they they should have won by more. But to lo- to to lose like good ground because of that call, they should be angry. They should legitimately be angry. And and Mats Hummels made it very clear post match how angry he was. He says, I don't have the quote in front of me, but. Along the lines of, if you're going to make decisions like that then and they get confirmed by VAR, I don't understand the purpose of VAR. And I guess, you know, that's a larger discussion for a different time. But I have to agree with Hummels on a base level. If the referee is going to be making a decision, you know, you shouldn't make the decision always with, well, there's a video review that we can check this process with. I feel like you should probably make the best decision you feel in that moment. I'm not sure if that's what the referee had done, but I digress. Let's talk about... there's. Four other matches that happened, or three other matches that happened this week. Let's talk about those. Um, let's go Napoli Barca. We were kind of just um, giving Napoli the business as terms as their play in Italy, but as it turns out, they were more than up for the challenge. I would say they didn't see a lot of 
uh, good opportunities with the ball, but their one shot on target is a 75th-minute goal from Victor Ossiman, who has been very reliable even in their struggle of a season. Lewandowski gets the goal for Barca, and the possession... like This is so strange to me to be reading a statistics like this where the possession between these two teams... And one of the teams is Barca. They're even, but Barca's out shooting the other team. Like That just seems antithetical to the whole club philosophy of FC Barcelona. And meanwhile, they're drawing against a team who is having... A very mediocre domestic season, one that they should be beating. So I, I have to give Napoli a lot of credit for getting a result at home. I do think Barca will get the job done in leg two. But Chris, is this something to be of concerned about if you're Barca that you don't play better against a struggling Napoli team? Yeah, I believe that you know Barca have just been, you know, not at their best this year. Um, just haven't been gelling. But I got to give credit to Napoli, obviously in a bit of turmoil. Just fighting Matsadi, mm-hmm. um, obviously, you know, at home wanting to get a result for the cr- crowd. But overall, big ups to Napoli for uh, pulling out a result here. But Barca, I just feel like they haven't found themselves yet. Um, obviously, they have the players. Um, you have one of the best strikers in the world, in my opinion, still in Robert Lewandowski. Um, you have Ilhai Hundahan pulling the strings in midfield. But overall, I just don't see anything that screams um, semi-final team for Barca. And while I do think they will progress, um, I think they have the better players, the better team overall, and they're in the better situation. I just feel that they should have taken more of their opportunities, and this is like an opportunity lost for them. Here. Mm-hmm. No, I, I definitely agree. And But I just, I just have one thing to say. I mean, a lot of Napoli's problems... Are, are because of off-field issues. Right. Spalletti mm-hmm. left, and, you know, he, he was so pivotal to that, mm-hmm. uh, to that Scudetto-winning team. Um, and, and for him to leave, Victor Osiman was a player coming into Napoli, day one already talking about what his next chapter is going to be. So, it, like, you can say whatever you want about that. I'm not questioning that he's not playing for the badge. I'm, I'm just stating the fact that, like, these are not players that are, like, really wanting to stick around. Look at Kim Nin-Jae, who went off to Bayern. Mm-hmm. I mean, a- and for you to, as Barcelona, I agree with your point, Chris, that they really haven't found themselves. But to, to like, lose a lot of ground against this team that just feels like they're kind of in such a middle place. I mean, it, it's... They're in the mid, they're mid-table. They're mid. They're, <laughs> mid. they're literally <laughs> mid. I mean... Um, it's just sad, but congrats to Victor Osimhen for his first goal in 2024. I mean, um, but I mean, it's sad. I I will say this: in less than a calendar year, there have been four different managers for Napoli. <laughs> that is ridiculous. You know, I, I feel like I feel like I've I've talked to players, and I'm like, you you're playing for a team that has had three managers in less than a calendar year. What is that like? I can't imagine four, especially when you know the first of those four was when he was your most successful in 30 plus years so you know to have gone from Spalletti to 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 uh Garcia uh, and and now with um Calzona who is also the manager of Slovakia I feel like this guy's playing FIFA right now (laughs) um this is it's it's absolutely marred by what's going on off the field and that's very that's got to be disappointing for the fans of this club who you know were just only so recently treated with one of their greatest moments in their lives, quite literally. Like I, I, that meant so much that Scudetto win, and now to see them struggling the way that they are is um, concerning. But 
to have gotten a result like that is inspiring enough, I think, to push them in a, the right direction uh, the rest of the way. Now, I don't think they're going to qualify for the Champions League uh, based on the way that they've played through 25 matches in Serie A, but I do think that maybe they have enough steam to get another result on the road uh, at the new Camp against Barca. I don't know, but I think that those that that's a realistic expectation for this team that's struggling. Let's talk... Let's do Inter. Okay, we were just... Let's keep it in Italy. Inter, 1-0 over Atletico Madrid. A late goal for Marco Arnautovic um, that... I, I, I won't say went against the run of play, but it didn't look like Inter were going to win this one. Atletico Madrid, a classic Atletico Madrid performance, right? Classic Diego Simeone in, in, in Europe, um, especially on the road at the San Siro. No shots on target for Atletico Madrid. None. Why would they bother? They don't, they don't need to score. Uh, and the possession was a, a little bit in Inter, uh, Inter Milan's favor. But still, this game was always going to be a late Inter Milan goal or a nil-nil draw, and that's exactly the way uh, Atletico would have liked it, knowing that they're going to be home in the second leg, Chris. Yeah, obviously, you know, Atletico Madrid, home or away, is going to be a tough draw. Um, (laughs) Obviously, they just play that physical Diego Simeone style. They just want to uh, keep it at a draw at all times and try and get a scrappy goal. Which is kind of weird because I believe in the um, group stage they were scoring six goals um, in some matches. So it's kind of a weird contrast, but obviously that's knockout Atletico. They just want to keep it as close as possible and nick it in like the last minute of stoppage time at the Wanda Metropolitano. Um, But yeah, I just feel that Inter, you know, obviously being top of the league in Syria, looking like one of the best teams in Europe, were gonna find a way to get that goal but if I am Inter obviously I'm worried about the Taram injury but I also am worried about the number of chances that uh, Arnautovic squandered as well you gotta be putting in some of the chances that I saw from him and overall I do feel that Inter should be worried about going to the Wanda Metropolitano and trying to get another result um, a 1-0 lead is never safe against Atletico no matter how defensive they are and I feel that while Inter is the better team, I can see them making it to the semifinals. Um, they, outside of Real Madrid and Man City, have been one of the most impressive teams in Europe so far. However, Atletico Madrid are still in this tie, and they will be in every tie unless you can find a way to score at least two or three goals against them. So I am a little uh, worried about Inter's chances in a very tough away stadium, in a very tough away setting. Yeah, and you know, uh, everybody always asks, what's the biggest stage in the world? Is it the Champions League? Is it the World Cup? I, The real question is, can they do it on a rainy night in Stoke? And you know, <laughs> Arnautovic did. I mean, yeah. A- and you know, for four years y- you something. mentioned he squandered a bunch of chances, but he made the one that counts. <laughs> yeah. He made the one that counts. I mean, Regardless of how many uh, how many chances you get, as long as you put the winner in, you gotta come gotta go home happy. Um, I think they have plenty of momentum to carry themselves. I think, um, regardless of how defensive and how like keenly good a Diego Simeone team can be, a sneakily good team because uh, I've noticed, especially the most recent couple of years, they've been ridden off a lot uh, in European competitions. But you know. They're leading. Uh, they're leading Serie A. They're dominating. They they're fresh off a final, 
And looking at the players last year, they were hurt. They they were really hurt about getting that silver medal. And so I th- I think they they want more. They want they want to you know go back and maybe even like um maybe we might get a rematch. Ooh. I would like that. But I don't know about myself. <laughs> I will say this. Just going back to Marco Arnautovic real quick. I want to just admire the career path this guy <laughs> has taken. Yeah. You know, cool. coming out of Austria, you know, when he was he was like always considered like the bad boy of 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 whatever team he played for and 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 that's kind of been true. He's he's not he's not always playing by the rules. He had a little controversy in in the Euros if you remember. Yeah. Um and just starting his career in in the Netherlands, jumping with a, actually a very brief loan. I didn't know about this with Inter Milan. He played three matches there in 2009. Then, which by the way was their Champions League winning year, the 2009-2010. <laughs> uh, and then went to the Bundesliga, then to Stoke, West Ham, then to China, then back to Italy to Bologna, and now he's on loan again for the second time in his career at Inter Milan, where I feel like he's kind of found his footing. You know, he's 34 years old, but that. And, you know, Milan is like the Inter is that type of team that can get the best out of those types of players. And I think that's honestly, that's a good, good fit for the moment. Our final Champions League tie of the week was Porto Arsenal. And we're going to finish with this one for good reason. 65% possession and zero shots on target for the Gunners (laughs) is ultimately what (laughs) plagues them. And a 94th minute winner for Porto. And I... I gotta say, I I know Diego. I'm you. You spoke this one into existence. You really did. You were on the Porto hype train before. I think ninety percent of the population of Portugal even. But the way the just the drama of it all, like you couldn't have even foresaw that. No, definitely. You know, I I was I I made the comment in uh, the previous show that you know, Porto's underlooked. They play a lot of with a lot of physicality. Mm-hmm. Their their captain is literally Pepe. I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on, what's more physical than that? Mm-hmm. And Arsenal have not fared well against physical teams. That's just the truth of the matter. Especially uh, against like more physical teams. Like look at the way that Lens played in the Champions League. I mean, Arsenal folded, completely folded. And <laughs> and so I, I said, you know, there's a chance for Porto to really surprise people. But to see Galeno just absolutely curl one into the back of the net, I know delusional Arsenal fans are saying, ooh, Ramsdale could have saved that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nobody could have saved that. That was As a goalkeeper for Fordham University Men's Club Soccer, <laughs> I would not have saved that. That is a beautiful finish. Um, you know, I, I was mighty high and proud when I was watching that game in class. And, you know, made me real happy. Made me real happy. You know, Galeno... Uh, a really underrated striker in 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 Europe, and I'm just so excited to you know see him really take his form in European play. Um, yes, he did miss like a glaringly like obvious chance to to like score earlier in the game, but he made up for it. I mean, isn't this what the Champions League is about? The 90th minute winners, mm-hmm. the the upsets, the the like home crowd getting exactly what they wanted after you know a hard week. Of, 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 you know, of work. I mean, this is the Champions League at its finest. And, you know, I'm so happy that, you know, a, a Portuguese team, I rate them very highly, was able to, you know, get the win. But, I mean, for me at least, a, a win against this Arsenal team in, in European football, 
is is not surprising. They, when was the last time they won a knockout tournament? What what was it? I mean, 2013, 2014? When, the, when was the last time Arsenal won a knockout tournament? Like uh, won the entire tournament? No, won a game. Won a game in in, in a European tournament. All in I a European is knockout Bayern game. 10-2. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I it's a good question. I couldn't I couldn't give you the answer. It's it, been that long. The the sad fact is, you know, don't confuse me for pulling statistics right now. No, I I'm just in genuine questioning yeah, yeah, of when this is inquisitive of you. Yes. I don't I don't I don't know the I don't have the answer. Exactly, it's been a long time. It's been a long time, and you know what? I don't think that's gonna continue here. I see another one zero win for Port, uh, Porto in the next leg. Count it. I mean, I'm sorry. Well, I, yeah. I, I I love the I love the boldness there. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I have to give much credit to Galeno. What a what a goal. Incredible goal. Obviously, after missing two guilt-touch chances in the first half, coming back in the 94th minute, last kick of the game, a beauty, a peach of a finish past David Raya. But I want to talk about the player who kind of conceded that chance, Declan Rice. Mm. Sir, you got the money this year. You got the move you wanted. How can you back off from a player like that in the Champions League? You looked like Calvin Phillips in his first game for West Ham, sir. <laughs> Uh, just an astonishingly terrible defensive decision by Declan Rice. But overall, yeah, Arsenal, man, Mikel Arteta is kind of reminding me of Pep overthinking a little bit, trying mm. to figure out these formations, trying to figure out how these players fit. And for the life of me, you know, I can't see any serious uh, combination of Havertz or Trossard or whoever up there really being like, a powerful force that can deliver goals for Arsenal in the Champions League. Pepe must have like laughed when he saw like the roster because obviously Pepe's been doing this a long time and like mm-hmm. seeing that top three, he was probably not scared of them at all. Um, yeah. So overall, much credit to Porto. I I love Porto as a dark horse man. I think that they're a very physical team. I love seeing them play in the Champions League. Obviously, they don't get a lot of buzz because they're playing in the Portuguese League. But overall, what a solid defensive performance. I'm happy for Galeno that he got that a screamer of a goal. Um, uh, Declan Rice, just a terrible defensive error from him. Uh, yeah, uh, I hope Gareth Southgate was watching that and saying, <laughs> oh, I don't like that from you, young man. And yeah, I just feel that like, you know... I agree with you. I feel that like Porto can go into the Emirates and do this exact same thing. And overall, I'm kind of looking forward to that uh, tie. Can Mikel Arteta get a solid 11 to come together and get a result in front of their home crowd and not get shocked by Porto in the round of 16? And this was all done with Media Taremi ruled out due to injury earlier this week. So I, I think that this is important that we have to mention this wasn't a full Porto squad, certainly not up front. You know, this, they like to play with the Evan Nielsen, Taremi dual striker tandem that was not available to him. Galeno steps up in the final then the, at the death. And I think this sets up beautifully in the second leg for Porto. They don't have to win one nil to go through. They just have to not lose by more than one and they should be in the driver's seat to advance. Uh, I, and I think that, it, they're not Atletico Madrid in the way that they play, but they certainly embrace the physicality. They embrace the disruption of it all. And Arsenal are a team that likes to play with a bit more rhythm. And I think that this, the fact that Arsenal have a little bit of mountain climbing to do, are going to be chasing 
all the more plays into Porto's favor. And I'm with you, Diego. I think they're going to get through to the round, to the quarterfinals, and we're going to be saying goodbye to Arsenal uh, earlier than maybe a lot of people anticipated. All right. We just talked Champions League. We're going to talk more Champions League, but we're going to talk CONCACAF Champions League for just a brief minute, only because we're going to segue into a little season preview for Major League Soccer. And the reason why we got to talk about CONCACAF Champions Cup is because not only are several MLS teams in action uh, tonight and have been in the past, but we did have Diego Martinez's Houston Dynamo feature against St. Louis City. Uh, Not sure if it went the way you hoped it would. 2-1 was the result. What were your thoughts? What were your impressions from that game? And, And what takeaway do you have that could maybe tell us a little bit more about the MLS season? You know, it, it's definitely a heartbreaker um, to, to concede um, a, a goal by former Houston Dynamo player, Tim, former Houston Dynamo captain, captain. Tim, yeah, Parker. Tim Parker, too. He, he is so amazing, by he, the way. I, love I know him. He, he was also a former Red Bull, right? Yeah, Red I, Bull, New York guy, went to St. John's. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was able to meet him at Madison Square Garden. Awesome. Uh, I mean, I cannot speak of him any highly. Except for that night when he celebrated against my Houston Dynamo. And that made me very upset. But, you know, it's just a heartbreaker. I feel like with him looking at this game, um, our our strike, our starting striker, Sebas Ferreira, uh, left early in injury. Uh, it looked pretty bad. I mean, they, they, they had to take him out on a stretcher. And so we were kind of playing with... Um, Ibrahim Aliyu uh, as a, as our number nine, who isn't a number nine, and you know we got a goal back. That's always great, especially uh, in in a two legged competition coming back home. But I I just feel like we should have at least kept it to tied, if not um, held the advantage because we did score first, but it was called off by VAR. Um, what does this have to do for MLS in the future? Uh, or for this season at least, it just shows how competitive it is, man. I mean, we saw this matchup uh, last season just as competitive. It mm-hmm. was equally as good of a game. Um, but it also shows, I mean, I don't think the decider of this MLS season is going to be talent. It's going to be who is missing it. It is going to be injuries. You see, there's, there's a glaring name missing on Houston Dynamo's roster right now. Hector Herrera, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can go down the list. Messi missed a lot of that preseason tournament. Mm-hmm. He's back, but for how long is he going to stay? It's that a- into Miami question. is aging. You see stars like Herrera being out, like Sebastian Ferreira for Houston uh, out. I mean, um, De La Vega for for Seattle, mm-hmm. a huge signing, but a young signing. It's all about. It's. I don't think it's going to be about the talent. I think it's going to be who can unlock it the best. Before I open the floor a little bit more, I want to just keep the discussion on Houston Dynamo because Ache Ache wasn't there. Brooklyn Reigns, this young guy in the middle, I'm curious what your perception of him was in that first match next to Artur. I thought Jan Gregush was going to be you know, penciled in to start in the midfield in Herrera's absence, but right now it's Brooklyn Reigns and Artur who are, you know, are both... I would say accomplished enough that you would expect them to be to be effective, but Reigns certainly was the surprise of the two of them. No, definitely Reigns. I mean, 
uh, <laughs> I I love Brooklyn, man. I I I've had a bunch of interactions with him, and you know he's he's just a guy like us. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, and it's super great to see him um, d- doing so many things on this stage. I know our tour is an MLS Cup winner, mm-hmm. and I know that uh, John Gregus is one of the like most. You got the Minnesota United kit right yeah, now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I I you know I. I always find a way to rip my boys in orange. <laughs> um, you know, I Brooklyn Reigns, this just shows how much confidence uh, Ben Olsen has on this young kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I having the opportunity not not just to interview him, but to, you know, s- just talk with him mm-hmm. about how just he is as a guy. It, it, he's one of those people that really can surprise a lot of people. And so I think, was this an intentional choice by Ben Olsen? Absolutely. Did it work out better than he expected? Probably. Mm. This is, again, I just want to preface this. I'm a Houston Dynamo fan. I love talking about the Houston Dynamo. But he's just a young kid. Mm-hmm. He's a kid. Um, At the end of the day, kids, especially in professional soccer, are expected to be Jude Bellingham nowadays. Are expected to be um like uh, Jamal Musiala. I, Brooklyn Reigns, did he have a Jamal Musiala, a, uh, a um, Jude Bellingham performance? No. But he had a good, solid performance w- in a midfield that needed a good, solid performance. And you know what? When the sh- lights shone the brightest, in that city park, the energy was immaculate. I, last season, you can clearly tell that that's an atmosphere nobody really wants to play against because it is so loud. Brooklyn Reigns said, okay, I'm going to just tune it out then. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, really proud of him. Uh, if like, if he can take anything into the MLS season, it's play like that. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think this speaks to the attitudes towards Major League Soccer as a whole. I know we're not completely done with the notion of bringing in older stars who come in and, and play their role in the latter parts of their careers. It's certainly happening across the league still. But I think more often than not, this is a young man's league than it is anything else. And I think Brooklyn Reigns getting the start over an accomplished MLS central midfielder like Jan Gregush, who spent so many years uh, at Minnesota United, um, I think that proves that point tenfold. And Ben Olsen, by the way, is not a uh, brand new guy to Major League Soccer. He's very much an establishment choice in Major League Soccer. Someone who played for D.C. United for many years, managed D.C. United, um, was touted as one of the better managers in the early part of his time managing that club uh, unfortunately does not get the job done uh, on Tuesday night against St. Louis City but across uh, the Champions Cup Philadelphia Union with an absolute wild game as it always is for them against Costa Rican opposition they played the Giants of Costa Rica and Deportivo Saprissa. they won 3-2 one of the most shocking own goals I have ever seen from Jakob Glesnes, the star center back for Philly Union. If you haven't seen it, look it up. This competition is chock full of moments like this. It is not always the most beautiful football, I will be honest, but it is some of the most entertaining and passion-filled. Tigres at home in Monterrey against Vancouver did what you'd expect them to do. They ran rampant with them, 3-0. Cuba America climbed back out of the abyss and got the result against Real Esteli to go on to the next round. But Herediano, another big team from Costa Rica, down 2-1 on aggregate with a red red card at the home leg against Toluca. They win on the road and win on away goals and advance. So some big, big storylines going on in the Champions Cup. Um, I believe tonight 
Uh, FC Cincinnati and Nashville both play, so keep your eye on that. Orlando City has already got their foot in the door into the next round. New England, same thing, 1-0 up over Independiente of Panama. Let's open things up to Major League Soccer as a whole. This season is underway. Inter-Miami started us off last night with a 2-0 win over RSL, but it wasn't the Messi show, it wasn't the Suarez show, it wasn't the Busquets show, it wasn't the Jordi Alba show. It was Robert Taylor who got us started with the first goal, and Messi did have an assist on it, and Diego Gomez stepped up. And I, Let's start with Inter-Miami, just because that's what everybody's eyes are on. It's Messi's team, but you alluded to it beautifully, Diego. Who is he going to be there that long? If if Argentina plays in all the matches that they can play in this year, he's going to miss a, mi- a fifth of the season just from the Copa America alone. Um, he's scheduled to play a bunch of matches in China in the middle of March, which is not a FIFA window, so he'll be missing uh, the game at Red Bull Arena most likely. He could miss up to a quarter of Inter-Miami's games. And now look, I understand that if Suarez is healthy and he's playing well, and if Messi is healthy, then there's going to be very few defenses in this league that can slow them down. But it's looking more and more likely that those guys are not going to be around 100% of the time, nor will they be at 100% abilities for the times that they are there. So, Chris, while everybody and their mother wants to talk about Inter-Miami and how they're going to run rampant with this league, I still think that they're probably the favorites for MLS Cup when the time is right. (laughs) However, that is what, seven, eight months away right now? Arguably nine months away if they push it into December like they have before. For me, this is another head-scratching team where I'm like, Major League Soccer is going to continue to be weird and these guys are going to struggle for a lot of it but figure it out when the time is right. Is that the overall attitude you have towards Inter-Miami as well, Chris? Yes, obviously I'm not the hugest MLS fan, but when I look at a team like Inter-Miami adding these older aging stars obviously wanting to reunite the boys of Barcelona um I just feel like the big question about this team is can this all fit together yes they won last night against Real Salt Lake to start off their season well Robert Taylor something about him and Messi the him and the Messi connection it works yeah um they are a dynamic duo somehow um I never heard of Robert Taylor before Messi got there so that's obviously a huge uh factor not very many people did. Yes, yes. <laughs> but overall, I just think about Inter-Miami as an if team. If uh, yeah. Messi is there, if Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba can uh, perform to the level that they did when they were younger, if you know all these like role-player guys can uh, center around Messi and play off of him, I do think that this is a very dangerous team, but... Looking at the rest of MLS, obviously, you know, we, we talked about it before. Seattle's always going to be there. I'm, I'm a huge Seattle fan. Uh, all the memories of Seattle um, trying to become that next big MLS dynasty, they're always going to be there. Columbus Crew, the team who won last year, they're always going to be there, well-coached. Uh, Darlington Nagby and Aiden Morris returned to that team. Mm-hmm. So... Where Inter-Miami fits into this equation is going to be kind of weird. Can they utilize the moments where Messi is available to them to garner enough points to, A, win the supporter shield potentially, or, and furthermore, try and challenge for MLS Cup? That is the question for me. And I think it's, it's going to be hard to answer until we get further into this season. 
if I can offer a silver lining to Miami fans, you know, you got goals from Diego Gomez and uh, uh, Robert Taylor in your first match. That's a good sign. You know, it shouldn't have to be Messi and Suarez every match, you know. Uh, if you can have your secondary contributors, your Julian Gressels, your Ben Hakramaskis, your, your, your Robert Taylors, uh, your DeAndre Yedlins, if those guys can step up and can provide you with, you know, above average play. They don't have to be amazing. They just have to be good enough to supplement your Messi's and your Suarez's. Then I think that Inter Miami are going to be in a good enough shape to be successful to a reasonable degree throughout the Major League Soccer regular season. And then in the playoffs, it's time to get going. It's time to go after the trophy because if that team plays with that sort of motivation, I don't think anybody's going to stand in their way. With that said, the Eastern Conference is loaded this year. Absolutely loaded. You don't think they're making the playoffs? I, don't, I think mm. that's their biggest obstacle. <laughs> yeah, their biggest obstacle is making the playoffs. And look, here's I loved your point. Mm -hmm. Messi, Suarez on the same team, there are no defenses that can really consistently no. stop that. But there are a bunch of offenses that can like, very consistently score on, again, right. on Miami. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? You, f you forgot to... like. Put into like consideration the fact that they're also playing Concacaf Champions Cup play, yeah. which mm -hmm. is another tournament that all of these guys are going to have to deal with, with all of Messi's like messiness, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, with like everything off the pitch and so many competitions that they're doing. They're gonna get tired. Like this, I feel like personally, Miami sh should not have that high of expectations because yes, the biggest obstacle is going to be making the playoffs. Let's let's open things up a little bit more, just because things things are getting real interesting. The Philadelphia Union, just just to put in perspective, in one week they play Pachuca twice and the Seattle Sounders, and that's because they're in the Champions Cup. In Inter Miami, their opponent we don't know yet because we have to wait for some more Champions Cup matches. Mm -hmm. That's 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 in eight days they have. They have to play Pachuca twice, one of the most successful teams in the history of Liga MX, and they have to play the Seattle Sounders, arguably the best team in the last 15 years of MLS. That's one week over a course of a 40-50 game schedule in a calendar year. Those weeks mean a lot more than weeks in July and June. And I look at the imbalance of the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference in Major League Soccer. It's become very apparent teams like LAFC, who haven't used all their DP spots yet, are going to probably make big splashes on money in the summer because, you know, they don't have the same uh, competitions to play early on in the season. Teams like Inter-Miami, you make a great point about this, could run out of steam very, very quickly early on. They want to win the Champions Cup more than anything. Obviously, they'd love to have MLS Cup too, but that chicken, they'll come to roast that when it, when it, when it gets there. I'm looking at some of the opening matches in, in, in this first weekend. Columbus and Atlanta United. That's arguably the two best teams in the Eastern Conference right there, right yes, away. Yes, definitely. You've got the reigning MLS Cup champion in Columbus. You've got Atlanta United, who arguably have the most talented player in this league, not named Messi, and Thiago Almada, one of the best, I would say one of the most cohesive front lines in MLS. They, they always spend uh, appropriately on young South American talent. Then LAFC and Seattle Sounders. That's probably your number one and two in the West, I would say. And it, it just, it's, it's, there's so much top heaviness that we've never seen in Major League Soccer before. I think there's seven teams you could look at in the Eastern Conference who realistically could make a push for a home playoff game. 
You've got Columbus reigning MLS Cup champions. You've got Atlanta, who we've mentioned. You've got Philly, who are there every year. You've got New England, who are bringing in Caleb Porter, one of the most successful coaches in the most recent years of MLS. They've got one of the more talented rosters, one of the better players in Carlos Hill. Uh, I think that FC Cincinnati are your Supporter Shield winners. You can't count them out. Nashville SC are there every year. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of talent in the Eastern Conference. And I didn't even mention Inter-Miami. So it's going to be a dogfight to get out of the East. While the West, I think we're going to see it pick up in the summer in terms of the signings. There's still a lot to like about the West. If St. Louis has a year that they had last year, um, then it's going to be really difficult for a team like LAFC to say that this is our conference. If the Houston Dynamo take another positive step in the right direction like I thought they did, they're going to have to do it for a lot without Ace Ace they could realistically win the Western Conference. I, I think that's that's possible. I think the Portland Timbers are going to take a massive step back towards qualifying for the playoffs because not only do they bring in Phil Neville, who I think is a not the not a perfect coach by any means, but I <laughs> You're think too kind. But I think <laughs> I think his coaching pedigree lines up nicely with a team like the Timbers, who like to control matches in a similar vein to Phil Neville. I I think that things are like looking up for a lot of different teams. Colorado Rapids had a fantastic transfer window, bringing in Sam Vine, Zach Steffen. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna be a, a force to be reckoned with in many many ways. Uh, Georgie Mihailovic as well. So I, I think that there's a lot of different teams who are gonna be looking at this season as a stepping point uh, in many different ways. I think Minnesota, you know, I. I th- they lost Adrian Heath, but I still think they have a talented roster through and through. If Emmanuel Reynoso is dedicated to the team this season, a combination with Reynoso and, and Timo Puki, that that's not many teams have a better one-two punch than that, except for Inter Miami. You know, I, there's so much talent in Major League Soccer this year. I didn't even mention Orlando yet for the East. There, there is so much talent. It's time to make some bold predictions. All right, who? I'm going to give you a team in the East, a team in the West that you maybe think you want to highlight. Not necessarily you think you're going to win the East, win the West, one team you're looking for, maybe a surprise. I'm going to start. Out of the West, I'm going to go with the Colorado Rapids. The Rapids are horrific last year. They've been laughable for a long time ever since, you know, the early 2010s when they were challenging for cups. And they bring in my least favorite manager in all of football in Chris Armas, who managed the New York Red Bulls to some terrible, terrible finishes between 2019 and 2021. The reason, uh, and 2020, I'm sorry. The reason I am confident about the Colorado Rapids is because I feel like they have made the right moves that MLS teams need to make. You have a great foundation and goal in Zach Steffen, who I know his career has not gone the way you would expect over the last three, four years. You've brought in a very, very, very strong fullback in Sam Vines, who is already familiar with the club. You brought in one of the best attacking midfielders that the league saw a couple years ago in Georgie Mihailovic. You bring in supplemental piece like Omir Fernandez. I think the Colorado Rapids are primed for a big push. I think they'll finish around fifth or sixth in the West, and I think they're going to surprise a lot of teams. Might even win a playoff game or two. Does anybody want to jump in now, or I can go with my other team? Go with your West. Yeah. Uh, go, with go with your East, West. man. All right, I'll go with the East. And now I will preface both New York teams. I'm not picking either one. The New York Red Bulls have made massive strides bringing in Emil Forsberg. That is the type of playmaker that they haven't had since the likes of a Tim Cahill, Thierry Henry era. That is absolutely the move that fans have been clamoring for, and they will be better for it. However, there's still an empty DP spot that they haven't filled yet. Dante Van Zier, the season he had last year, 
He's still setting a very high bar for himself. I spoke to him on Tuesday. 15 goals is his target. He didn't come close to that last year. Obviously, he had a whole scandal and then many injuries that prevented him from doing so. If he can settle in and develop a partnership with Emil Forsberg, I think they'll be very successful. New York City FC on the other side. They didn't make the playoffs last year. They didn't fire Nick Cushing. There's more continuity with that club than I would say with the Red Bulls. They spent, since last summer, over $20 million bringing players in. This is a team that's going to be good and going to be better and going to be talented. The question is, can they be consistent enough, match after match, against teams that are going to be just as, if not more talented than them in this Eastern Conference? It's going to be an unproven team in a lot of areas of the pitch. But with Nick Cushing at the helm, they should know what is to be expected of them, and they should be a playoff team. It's going to be tough because now we've mentioned over 10 or 11 Eastern Conference teams that could or should fight for the playoffs. But the team that I'm looking at as the most dangerous, arguably, in the Eastern Conference, as I'm going back to a team that bothered me a lot last year, and it's FC Cincinnati. Uh, I, I, I hope that it's not you know too boring of a pick considering they won the Supporter Shield last year. They had the MVP in Lucho Acosta, who I do not like. <laughs> but if I look at the roster that they bring back from last year and I look at some players that they're bringing in, the team got better. Miles Robinson is an improvement at central defense. You know, Next to Yerson Mascara, that's a tough partnership to deal with for any striker in this league. As it goes into the midfield, Obina Nwobodo is the best defensive mid in Major League Soccer now. He's taken that mantle away from Diego Chara, and I really like the way he plays. Not only defensively, he is so crucial in their connection from, from their back line, whether it's, whether it's Nick Hagland playing there. If Nwobodo is in the middle, you can confidently believe that the ball is going to safe, safely get from their defense into the likes of Aaron Bupenza or Lucho Acosta or Alvaro Barrial, who is absolutely massive on the flanks. And then they're bringing back the defensive player of the year in Matt Miazga. So I, I think that this FC Cincinnati team learned a lot about themselves last year, you know, climbing out of the wooden spoon two years ago, three years running, mind you, into the supporter shield is something that is absolutely drastic and has never really been done in this league. It's, it's so unheard of. I think they're going to take another step. I don't think they're going to win the supporter shield. I think teams will figure them out a bit. But once they settle into a rhythm, they were unbeatable last year until they met Columbus in, in, in the cup, in the, in the playoffs. That was an absolute spectacle of a game. The Columbus crew really, Wilfred Nancy is the best manager in this league at the moment. I loved how he was able to turn, you know, a systemic approach into a free-flowing attack that no team could defend, really, including LAFC, Giorgio Chiellini, uh, and, and, and their, their group of really stellar defense. Couldn't even figure it out. But what Cincinnati was able to do consistently over the season last year speaks to me like they're going to come back with a vengeance. Pat Noonan was coach of the year last year, and he deserved it. I think he'll be in that conversation again. So, yeah, out of the West, I like Colorado to make a big, big jump, and I like FC Cincinnati to continue being the class of the Eastern Conference. Okay. Who wants to take it away? I could take it. I could take it. Uh, Go ahead. Because, you know, I I love how – we we kind of skipped into these because I feel like that is just the conference to watch. Mm-hmm. The conference to watch is these. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a bloodbath. Atlanta's going to be victorious. Atlanta, I love their recent um, uh, resurgence kit showcasing the Phoenix because just like the Phoenix, this team is going to rise from their ashes. I know they've been disappointing, especially the last couple of years, not, not 
coming through with the repeat of the 2018 MLS Cup victory. But you know what? Looking at this squad and, like, looking at the front three specifically with uh, Saba Lovijanitsi, Jandre Silva, and Giorgios Yakamakis, the comeback player or the, the newcomer of the year award, these guys only had about half a season together. Half a season to gel, half a season to, like, get everything sorted out, and they still made the playoffs, and they still competed against the MLS Cup champions. This team also got better in their midfield, added a great, great veteran midfielder in Dax McCarthy. Legend. And added a couple of good, solid, reliable goalkeepers. I, I love Brad Guzan, but, I mean, come on. No, he's like, it's over. He, he's, he's like 45. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's over. But, so, not only is their front three going to get better because they have now shared an entire offseason, but they also have improvements on every other weakness that they had. And I haven't even talked about Tiago Almada. Mm-hmm. I haven't even talked about Tiago. This team has consistent like a consistent fan base, a consistent like support. This team has just gotten better. They're going to win the East. Uh, just a quick talk about my Western pick. I mean, I think the biggest surprise, honestly, is going to be the Houston Dynamo. Mm. I, I got to give them my pick, but it, for the wrong reasons. Oh, okay. I think they're going to take a step back. I think personally, this might be a year where they might miss out on the playoffs. I feel like it really just depends on the fact of, um, I feel like we are not ready to play in the the CONCACAF Champions Cup. I feel like we still have a couple of players that still need to find their place mm-hmm. on the team. Uh, m- most namely, Amin Basi. Mm, okay. Leading scorer, 90% of them were penalties. They were calling him Passi for, for a good <laughs> reason. I mean... Uh, Yes, the Houston Dynamo are a great team. I'm not saying I love my Houston Dynamo. However, last season was the wildest surprise. Yeah. Probably in the history of the club. I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming either. And I was the one where it's, I'm saying, give Pat Onstead patience. Give him patience. We've actually like taken steps to improve. But from one season being one of the worst teams to making the Western Conference Final and putting up a great fight against LAFC, yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, it's because all of these players, like, played their hearts out. And, you know, we still retained a lot of the core. But we didn't really get much better. That's the that's the, that's the game I think here. that's a good point. That's the game here when it comes to the West. Because you mentioned it earlier. The signings are going to come later on in the summer. Mm-hmm. We're going to be gassed by them. Yeah. Because of the CCC and because of just the regular season. And you also have to consider... The Copa America. Most of our guys are going to be competing yeah. there. Uh, Coco Carrasquilla. I love with, Coco. He's going to be with Panama. He's going to be time. with Panama. Ache Ache. He wants to be there. I know. I understand that uh, he doesn't have the greatest chance to get that, uh, that. I wouldn't count it out. But I wouldn't count it out. Exactly. There's only about four or five you know, midfielders who are in contention for the Mexican national team that I would say are definitely ahead of him. Yeah. And, and, and some of those, it's questionable. Like... That's exactly. Am, am I definitely saying that Eric Gutierrez is ahead of him? Probably, but on a on a different day, maybe not. Exactly, and and so li- I like your point of don't count it out because, especially because Hector Herrera hasn't been called out very recently, so he wants th- that spot, mm-hmm. so he's gonna fight for it. And so when you put all of it together, I just expect 
maybe we make the playoffs but lose in the first round or maybe we barely miss it but it's going to be a definite step back and i think dynamo fans please like hold your expectations to a little bit of a lower standard we are still building a project here and so it is completely okay if we come out like not as good as last season but with that being said yeah that's a surprise because i mean from Western Conference Finals, maybe to missing the playoffs. That's a huge jump. But, I mean, I do have to leave that option open because, again, we didn't really get much better. Mm -hmm. Chris, take us away, buddy. Yeah, I just want to be really brief here. Uh, (laughs) In terms of uh, the East, I'm going to make you a very happy man, James, and say that the New York Red Bulls are my team to watch in the East. And Emil Forsberg, (laughs) you know, I'm a big fan of the Bundesliga, just watching him and his personal growth in RB Leipzig, even though they're a big rival of Bayern, um, I just think that you've signed like a top-class player. I know he's not the youngest of players, but he adds that stability in your midfield. And I love uh, John Tolkien and Sean Neal mm-hmm. as just two solid defenders in the back. So overall, I think that while the the Red Bulls are kind of like a mid-table team, in my opinion, they could make some noise in the playoffs. This is true. Going to the West, I'm going to pick a different Texas team as my dark horse oh. in Austin FC. Obviously, I like that pick. They started off like with a bang <laughs> in their first year in the league. They went to the Western Conference Finals, kind of fell off a little bit. But this year, a I think them uh, sneaking into uh, the MLS playoffs. And, uh, yeah, I just think that they have some interesting players. Jassy Zardes, obviously mm-hmm. a U.S. legend, I still think has some minutes in him. But overall, I think that those are like my two kind of dark horse surprise packages in both conferences. And Drew C. and Rigoni yes. are certainly talented players that if they had seasons like they had two years ago can can bring success to Austin FC. Um, that's just about all the time we have this week. It was a, always a long episode when we get to talking about the entire world football. <laughs> we didn't even get to the CONCACAF Women's Gold Cup, so I will just say 5-0 for the U.S. in their first match. Alex Morgan's wearing number seven. Who started that? Why are we doing that? Um, and they're going to play Mexico in the group stage, which U.S. and Mexico in a CONCACAF Gold Cup group stage just seems wrong, but it is the women's game, so it's a bit different than what we've expected on the men's side. That is all the time we have for FUVFC this week. I want to thank Diego Martinez and Chris Shepard for joining me. A great episode talking all things from top five leagues, Champions League, and MLS. MLS season is back. You can catch it on Apple TV this weekend, NYCFC and the Red Bulls in action. FUVFC is a production of WFUV Sports. I've been James Burley. We'll see you guys next week. I will see you later.